head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 257 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan. Joined today by Philip O'Connor to, for a little bit of a different podcast. You know, usually we come on here and, you know, we talk about the news and we talk about everything that's happening in the world of, of MMA, but it's it's a little bit different these times. You know, there isn't that much news, there isn't that much stuff going on. Well, I suppose there is a bit, but I, I feel like over the last couple of weeks, the big story in MMA has obviously been the events getting cancelled uh, and the, the, the coronavirus and all that and the way that people have covered it. You know, and most of the podcast last week, I think, was talking about that. Um, and the way, not just the way it was covered, but the way people spoke about it, and the way the the whole thing was discussed between the the media, the you know the fighters, uh, the promotion, and the fans itself. So who better to get on than than Philip O'Connor, who's you know who's knee deep in all this stuff, who's <laughs> been around for a long time in different like sometimes we we get caught up in the MMA media bubble or the MMA bubble, and we we I think it's good to look at it from the outside. So Philip, hi, how are you? That was a, a long intro, but anyway, how are you? It was no, but it was very effective as well. I'm brilliant, Sean. As I say, I mean, these are weird times we're living through and uh, we'll get into all of that as we go along. But I think, you know, if there's only one fight we're going to talk about, I think Sean Sheehan versus the world is the fight that we definitely, that's mm-hmm. the fight that everybody has seen this week and that's what they want to get onto. <laughs> yeah. let, let us dissect that over the next little while, shall we? I was uh, like, what's your opinion on that? Like, I, everyone probably listened to the podcast last week where I kind of went off a little bit, but I felt like I had to, like, uh, maybe we'll start it here, but like, I, I feel like, I'm not. I'm not a great person for coming out and you know saying what needs to be said right now. That's not you know that's not the sort of person I am covering this world. I'll do it when it needs to be done. We we'll talk. We talk about everything on the podcast, and but it's not like if you want that, you probably go to someone better, <laughs> better than me for it. Like you know, um, but this I think the whole coronavirus and the coronavirus around MMA I think was a very very different situation in that this is not just an MMA issue or this is not just uh, a story in MMA. This is a worldwide health story and i feel like if you're not coming out and saying it and if you're not calling out the people for not saying it i don't think you're doing it right what did you think last week when i just went ham on everyone on the podcast yeah no i thought it was absolutely brilliant sean because it's just one of those things that this is new territory for people within sort of mma media or for you know people of a, of a different generation like yourself you know mm. nobody can remember anything like this you know there was no 9 11 you, you were kind of only a kid when that happened you know but what this i mean the only positive thing about this pandemic is that and the pausing of all sport and the pausing of life as we know it you know if you want to look at this in a philosophical way right Mm-hmm. You, you, this pulls out the lens. You know, we've been zoomed in so much on the details of Tony against Khabib and who's going to fight who, who's going to make weight, who's going to do this, who needs to be on the undercard, who's next, who's kind of going to fight next. But th- that's all gone. So that enables us now just pull back a little bit and say, okay, where are we as, you know, in our sport? Where are we in our country? Where are we in our lives? Are we doing the right things? And it gives us time to reflect over that. And that's why I was so delighted that you brought those things up with Graham and that just had a discussion about it. Because these things, you know, you never normally get to do that in any sport. I mean, I've been talking to so many people, some on the record, some off over the last little while. And, you know, whereas everybody would love to see Premier League matches being, you know, they would usually be played at the time that we're talking. But without that now, we have so much time to do the things that we don't otherwise get to do. And not only that, Sean, but it's times of crisis reveal who we really are. Mm -hmm. They, They reveal what's important to us, what drives us, what we're afraid of, what we love, you know, what makes us impassioned about things. And that also reveals things about companies and organizations and the people within them. So we get to see them for who they really are. And, you know, going forward, if you look at it, you know, you go, okay, well, now I understand why that person is the way they, is, they are. I've been very critical of Dana White lately. I'm sure Dana White is a tremendous husband and father to his children and whatever else that happens to be. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm very critical of the way he's acted. So, you know, I think in one way it's excellent because you weren't sort of too personally critical of people, but you were very critical of some of the decisions that were made. And and they are definitely conversations that we have to have. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about Dan in a second. Before, first, just from a media standpoint, right? 
can you explain to people or uh, explain how maybe how you do it, like how you develop your ideas and things or how you develop kind of your stance and things because like we, when the coronavirus started we did a podcast on it and like I'd say if I went back and listened to that podcast now I'd be embarrassed by what I said like uh, because I feel like it took me maybe two weeks to fully understand it and even probably more than that not to fully understand it but to fully understand what I thought about it and where I think the right side of this is and once I did that and I started looking at you know all sides of it I felt very strongly that people had to come out and say it you know Jurgen I said this in the podcast a couple of weeks ago I think but remember Jurgen Klopp came out at that press conference and he said you know I'm not a doctor ask don't ask me ask the people who um you know who know about this and I think at the time he was dead right but I think that has changed like I think the fact that people have developed an understanding more for the situation maybe not for the disease and everything like that but the fact we've developed that I think people like even if you disagree with him Conor McGregor coming out and saying this and trying to get people to stay in their houses or them you know the stupid imagined video or people are trying I think you have to use your voice to to do that and especially if you're in media as well like I don't uh, Maybe it's different for me than for other people where, you know, some people just all they do is come out and they, they report the facts and that's it and they leave their opinion to the side. That's not me. I might say my opinion and lots of people do as well. But uh, before we get into who said their opinion, who didn't say their opinion, what do you think of that, like developing your thoughts and ideas and maybe taking a step back and not saying it too quickly, but t- saying it too slow isn't good either, is it? No, well, I think, you know, we have to recognize that this is not, you know, if you say something, that's not it. That's not the end of it. This is a situation. It's not something that has happened. It's something that is happening. Mm -hmm. And new things, we become aware of new things every every day that maybe change what we thought before or that prove uh, what we knew before or what we thought we knew before to be wrong. And I was just, I was chatting with my brother. It's his birthday today. And he's an academic. He works above in DCU. And he's a man of mathematics like yourself. Mm -hmm. He's a doctor of applied physics. And what he actually wrote to me was, you know, this is like being asked to write the paper while you're still taking in the data and it's not ideal is what he was saying to me you know mm-hmm. and I found that very interesting because we're working from a base where and as well a lot of journalists as well you know there's two things about it really one is the fact that the situation is in constant flux right what's true today may not necessarily be yeah. true tomorrow and the other thing is we have to understand our own place in this right so me as a journalist as a person who's out working I'll tell you exactly what I've been doing over the last little while right I have spoken to yesterday I spoke to two Swedish government ministers about how, how they're handling the COVID-19 thing I spoke to a school prince I have spoken on countless occasions, I'd say, to the the state epidemiologist here, Anders Tegnell. I've spoken to all these scientists that work with him. I've spoken to scientists who disagree with him. And do you know what? I'm still not an epidemiologist mm-hmm. and I'm still not a politician or a diplomat, right? There was a great Reuters journalist who was a mentor to me when I started working there 18 years ago. His name was Peter Stark. And Peter Stark used to do this presentation and he said, my name is Peter Stark. I'm a Reuters journalist. I know only what's in the public domain. Other than that, I know nothing. It's why I ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. So I have an opinion on the coronavirus. I don't think any of your listeners or anybody on Twitter or Facebook or anybody else would be able to tell me my personal opinion on uh, the coronavirus and how it's being handled because I've never said it publicly. I don't think I've even said it in my own home because it's not my place to do that, right? My pronouncement as to, you know, what people are doing, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I can say that something doesn't look good, it doesn't look great, whatever, but that's that's just my opinion. My opinion in and of itself doesn't, it doesn't have anything, right? But my opinion about what's going on around it, I know the world of sports, I know the way things uh, have to be, you know, I know the guidelines that are out there and what different countries are be saying and I can, be, I can confidently say that sporting events should not be taking place, not according to Philip O'Connor and not according to Sean Sheehan, but according to every fucking expert in the world at this time who is in any position of power whatsoever is saying that these shouldn't be taking place and that is what gives you the legitimate right to criticise the actions of others mm-hmm. so it's not just Sean Sheen in Limerick or Philip O'Connor in Stockholm or, uh, or P.T. Carroll in Blanchardstown saying these things you, what we're doing is we're collecting information we're, we're, we're sort of sifting through it and we're saying okay this is what's being said this is the best available guidance at the moment now in a week in two weeks in three weeks that'll be you, you just know that what's going to happen in three months' time, because COVID-19 won't be gone in three months, right? Mm-hmm. But in three months' time, when there is a sporting event stage, the first thing you get on Twitter is, I told you so. And it's just, look, at, yeah. there's no way. If we look at this pandemic, this is newborn, right? This is just complete. We know nothing about this. People are scrambling around for all sorts of data at the moment because this has never happened. It hasn't happened in 100 years. And with the technology and the way we live our lives, et cetera, et cetera, today, it's impossible. I mean, it's literally trying to, you know, I'm not going to say they're making it up as they go along, but they are sort of feeling around in the dark to find the common touch points to do something here. So anybody making any statements of fact 
at all is to be sort of, you know, as long as if it's not based on science, you know, just stay away from it. So that leads to a situation where, you know, everything else gets questioned. I mean, I've seen an awful lot of people on MMA fighting and, and these other places questioning, you know, the bona fides. Oh, you know, journalists don't want this to happen and MMA media, this, that, the other. And it's just balls, right? So mm-hmm. it's trying to sort out and the feelings from the fact here. I would love if there was fights on tonight. Yeah. Was it not tonight that we were supposed to see was, Tony yeah. and Khabib, right? We're yeah. talking on Saturday, the 18th of April, right? We lived for this for years, you know, and it's not happening. Nobody would love that more than me, right? Mm-hmm. But... I do not want to see Tony Ferguson's grandfather or Khabib's father getting sick and dying yeah. just because I want to see Khabib. Exactly. Okay? And that's the, oh, that's the only sort of opinion, opinion that I'm going to give you on this whole show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give you more than that. <laughs> like, I feel like... <laughs> as, I, always. as always. I feel like, right, there's one point for me when I kind of transitioned over to, to covering sports and stuff and I don't know how it happened, but it happened anyway. But I, I, I always remember one point about Wayne Rooney, right? So before I was ever covering MMA or anything, I used to always see Wayne Rooney and like you'd read stuff on websites or in the papers and stuff and Wayne Rooney at his best, people built him up to be, what do they call him? The next Pele. And then at his lowest, they're like, oh, he's useless. This guy is rubbish. You know, he's, uh, you know, they build him up to break him down. And I always thought of that. And I was like, okay, there was a lot of that was obviously very unfair. And, you know, whether it's positive or negative. But then when I started covering sports myself and looking at things, like, let's, let's, I don't know, pull out things up. BJ Pin, right? When BJ Pin was at his best, he was one of the best fighters in the world. And what do we say when that happens? We have to say he's one of the best fighters in the world, don't we? And when he's at where he is right now, what do we have to say? We have to say he shouldn't be fighting. We have to say it's gone on too long. And it's not like, as you said there, the goalposts change. It's not the same from one day to the next, from one month to the next, from one year to the next, from one decade to the next. Things change an awful lot. And I think that's one thing that people outside of the media who aren't covering the sports can't see, because I couldn't see it. I, I know myself, and when I started getting into it, then I had to realise that. Like, it's funny, because last week as well, and as you said there, in a few weeks, people are going to come out and say, oh, it was all hysteria or whatever. Like, that podcast that I did last week, like, I, I stand by that forever. In two weeks' time, I might do another podcast where I'm calling for Vince to come back, or in a month's time or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's, things are changing all the time. But, like, I feel like at that position last week, when the and between last week and the week before the UFC were going head on with this event this event was happening and to me I think you know MM, our media's job as you said there you you know I, I look at it from a, maybe a, a more of a mathematical point of view or, a, or an equation solving point of view you know A plus B equals C and if A is a fucking worldwide pandemic <laughs> B is the UFC trying to put on an event I think C should be us saying that UFC shouldn't be fucking putting on an event and if people didn't say that and they're covering the sport and like okay if you'd want to give your opinion or whatever it's not about opinions here it's about what's happening and you looking at what's happening and you saying what the next step should be and I feel like if it's a bit of a cop out if you didn't come out and say that the event shouldn't be happening or if you didn't call out the UFC for being absolutely horrendous to even be thinking about putting on the event right now am I am I wrong on that or what do you, what do you no, think no no I think like you're more than entitled to give that because there's a preponderance of evidence there right mm-hmm. it's like objectivity and impartiality are things that people don't really understand right objectivity there's no such thing as being totally neutral right I come from a working class area of Dublin every experience I had during my upbringing there is going to colour the way the, the story the, the way I cover stories and indeed the stories that I choose to cover because that's also an editorial decision, right? So I'm never going to be, you know, completely neutral in any way. It's impossible. I'm hardwired to think and believe certain things and to act in a certain way, right? But that doesn't stop me from being objective, right? So like I said, you know, having that, those fights tonight would have been absolutely brilliant. But objectively, it's the wrong thing to do. Let me tell you a story, Sean. I arrived at the World Cup in Brazil in 2016 in a place called Recife, which is in the northern, uh, it's in the northern part of Brazil, right? And the first thing I noticed as I walked along the seafront after getting off the plane from Frankfurt was that there were signs up uh, warning of the dangers of sharks, right? And I went, this is fucking brilliant. So I went and I got the TV crew and we went down there and we filmed with the lifeguards and everything else like that. And we said that, you know, um, there was all this talk about football hooliganism and people going down there, yada, yada, yada. And we did a story basically saying that uh, sharks were probably a bigger danger to um, uh, to football fans than hooligans were, right? And we put it out there and uh, this football fan got on to me on Twitter going, oh, you're saying we can't swim in the sea now? And I was like, oh God, <laughs> you know. But this is the level that you're operating mm-hmm. at, right? Just because we report something or because we say something. Now, you, you know, again, 
again, you're giving an opinion there. But the fact that I was reporting on these things all along, because I was trying to write stories about the UFC, useless as they are in terms of the press, you're trying to do things, you're trying to give their side of the story, you're trying to be objective about it. But objectively in any situation, uh, you, you've got to say, it, objectively in a pandemic where everything else has closed down and every other sport, Every other sport is off. Mm-hmm. Like in the NBA at the moment, they have guys shooting shots in their driveway and they're televising that because that's all there is. Mm-hmm. They had a competitive eating competition which was broadcast live online yesterday. That's all. There's nothing. There was a card of fights, I think, in Belarus or somewhere last night as well. But that's it. And, you know, when everything else is gone, what makes you think that you can stage your, you know, what makes your sport immune from it? And that has to be called out. And, you know, the, the fact that, you know, Dana White says one thing one minute and then changes his mind the next minute and then he abuses the press, that all has to be called out. Mm-hmm. So that's nothing to do with, you know, what you or I think. That's just the way these things work. Mm-hmm. If it was the chief executive of an airline or if it was a government minister, they would receive exactly the same treatment, if not worse way than worse, what the UFC it. got. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, the, you know, you'd haul them over the coals, but then they would behave in a different way. So, so in terms of that, you're more than entitled to give your opinion because, again, it's not solely your opinion. We uh, we often have the idea that, oh, this person, th- their opinion. It's not your opinion. You haven't sort of formed this out of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. We often, you know, people who live in the same cultural circumstances often sh- share a similar set of beliefs, right? Yeah. So, you know, you and I were probably both baptized Catholics in Ireland uh, in the 1970s, 80s, early 90s, whatever it was. There was no, no, neither you or I chose that. Mm-hmm. That was culturally sort of pushed upon us. And, you know, like it or not, we had those classes in school and that's just part of it, right? So, you know, it, it's kind Kind of natural that you and I would agree about certain things, right? Because we have we share some of the same sort of cultural DNA, if you will, right? So that's just going to happen. But you know, again, the, the idea that you know we come up with these opinions all by ourselves. Now we take in the information and we base that, we put that with all the things that we already know, and we both come to the same conclusion that staging a card of fights tonight on uh, Native American-owned land in California would have been absolutely fucking bonkers, mm-hmm. you know. So you know, it, it's not a new opinion. This is not Sean Sheen. He's not, you know, you're not an outlier here, Sean. No, do you know no. what I mean? And, and, no, no, and, and like I'm not, I'm not being disrespectful towards. We felt you, you know that I mean? way a bit, though. Like, yeah, no. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe more so in MMA than you know, if it was Major League yeah. Soccer who were trying to do the same thing, maybe you would have been more, you know, in the choir rather than singing solo on this one, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, but I think you know, basically every other right-thinking person in the world would have agreed with you. But within our subsection of MMA and the mad people who make up this sport, you probably were a little bit on your own on that front, you know. Yeah, I, and the I, thing is, you know, I, I don't tend to row into anybody's defense of that. I'll make mm-hmm. a logical argument for it, but. Like, again, yeah. I don't think there's anybody who could tell me, you know, what I think should be done with the coronavirus or anything else at this point, you know? I feel like you'd expect it from the fans and not not in a, not always in a negative way. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of people still maybe at that stage when it was cancelled, what was it, eight, nine days ago now at this stage, still maybe didn't have a full appreciation or understanding for what the gravity of the situation. Like, I only barely got it, maybe, and I said probably don't. I think a lot of people still don't. But I was more, like, it was more the media I was kind of unhappy with. Like, what do you think as well? And this is a very interesting question. I've seen a few people talk about it. Myself and Graham talked about it last week as well. Like, the independent media and their place in in media and in MMA media, I suppose as well, but in in the wider base. And I want to ask you about the wider base of media as well after this. But like, like how important do you think independent media like when i come on here and i talk there's nobody telling me what to talk about there's no one saying you know mention conor mcgregor for 15 minutes and do a segment on him or you know don't talk about the coronavirus don't talk about this don't talk about that i can say what i want you know how important do you think that is and to like let's say i don't know what people were told but they told not to to call out this event so we can go and cover it or so we can you know put up loads of stuff and we don't look bad or whatever like i'm not sure that didn't happen like how how important do you think independent media are, are, are in this sort of situation. Well, I think independent media in any situation, be it sport or in any aspect of public life, is absolutely vital. Because, I mean, you know, the day you lose independent oversight, you know, we're the ones, you know, journalists essentially are the people trying to keep to keep these people honest, right? We're the ones saying, well, what about this? You know, what about fighter safety? What about crowd safety? What about all these things? And the same thing, you know, when you go to a minister or when you question what's being done at government level or that kind of thing, our job is to keep them honest. They need to know that we're there, that we're the guard dogs on this front, right? Now, you will have any amount of eejits in your Twitter mention go, Oh, he's only going because he's got free tickets and you don't want to piss anybody off in this country. Yeah. No, speaking for my own part and speaking for you as well, because this is why I respect you so much. You don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. Again, anybody who wants to disagree with that, go back and watch the interview with Richard Keeley where he started arguing with you over things that you'd said about him, right? I can never sit down and write something I wrote something about Connor once and somebody very close to Connor didn't like and they called me up and they read me the riot act. I go, I, like, I like this person an awful lot, right? 
I'm not Connor's fan club. Mm-hmm. If Connor does something good, and if you go back, if you Google my name, Connor McGregor's name, and the name of the agency I work for, you'll see hundreds of words written about Connor's skill and the brilliant knockouts that I've been lucky enough to witness that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But when it doesn't go well, then I have to call it. And it's nothing against Connor as a fighter. I'm not questioning, you know, his manhood or his legacy or anything else like that. I'm just saying what it is I saw here, you know. Mm-hmm. And based upon that, then you have to write what you see, you know. And I think there's an inability to understand. And again, I hate to fucking do this, Sean, because there's always this thing, oh, millennials this and Gen Z that and all that kind of thing, right? But I do believe that the kind of media that people younger than me and probably younger than you have grown up with is not as rigorous as what was there in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at the way I grew up, we, I would have thought that Larry Bird, the basketball player, was the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, he went out there, he won, he like he took his lunch pail to work every, do- every day, he won three championships. But then it turns out, I found out afterwards that he was the greatest trash talker in the game, you know, and he was a deeply unsporting individual, you know, and he would like mock people and, and this kind of thing, threaten them, swear at them, the whole lot. You never heard that on the TV at the time. And without the internet and without that kind of thing, we never got to hear any of that because nobody was close enough to the court to hear what he was doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would view him, if I was growing up today and he was doing the same thing, I would probably view him totally differently. So it's really the job of the media is to sort of keep these guys honest. And the unfortunate thing is that MMA media is a subset of the rest of the media, right? Mm-hmm. So it didn't start off when football started off. Certain sports like basketball, the box score and baseball is a perfect example, right? The box score, all the statistics that you see, they were originally designed to make the sport pages bigger in America, right? Mm-hmm. Give people statistics and they'll go through them. And that was when, you know, averages became so important in American sports to the point where we see significant strikes in UFC fights because they have to have something despite the fact that they completely Worthless, lack meaning yeah. you know yeah so 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 that was where it started and like sports sells newspapers right but that doesn't mean that you can sort of flip that on its head and say oh well then you know we've got to be nice to these people and this is what happens in MMA media because it grew from a fan based thing right mm-hmm. i was talking to Ariel Hawani recently and he was telling me he started a site and now he went through mmafighting.com which is owned by Vox i think and now he's working for ESPN which is you know the biggest probably the biggest sporting station in America you know bar maybe Fox Sports or they're up there struggling for it, you know but he went from this independent media but Ariel is also a trained journalist at a Syracuse University which has some of the best journalism programs in the world so Ariel at the at the, the bottom of it is actually very very well trained the problem comes when people who don't understand the dynamics and the morality and the ethics of media start to throw in their tuppence worth and that happens in MMA we have seen journalists who have accepted payment from promoters to go and cover events and then needless to say the promoter is going to want positive coverage of the event they're not going to want you to say that oh well the top deck of the stand wasn't open because we didn't sell that many tickets or Fighter X didn't perform as well as he would you know once you're bought you're bought you know Mm -hmm. and that's what MMA media has to get past now because again like there's a friend of mine who's a professional footballer I'm not going to name him right but he realises that when he goes through the mix zone we're not friends I'm there to ask him a question about who he's played. And if he's played shit, I'm going to ask him why he played shit. If he concedes a penalty that costs his side a, a, a game, I'm going to ask him. If he misses a penalty, which he has done, and we stood down, we fought over it in the mix zone, right? But then we go past the end of the mix zone just before he gets in the bus, and there's, oh, how's the missus, right? Yeah. Because that's what has to be done. He understands that. And I understand that. And it's not personal, you know. And there's so many people. This idea that we all have to agree and fucking stand in a ring and sing Kumbaya at the end of a UFC <laughs> event, it's nonsense, Sean. Yeah. You know, I can, and I feel like, you know, I've, you know, like I've only met Paul Redmond physically a couple of times, but Paul is a guy that I really, really like, I really get on with and I deeply respect, you know. And I, can, I, I can't imagine, I'm not going to, celebrate somebody like Paul losing a fight at any stage in his career. I think it's a tragedy for any fighter who loses, especially in combat sports, because there's a certain element of humiliation in, say, being submitted or being knocked out by somebody else. Never got to celebrate that. But I have to ask Paul the question why it happened. Mm -hmm. You know, and I may have to be negative and say, you know, did your left hand let you down? Did your guard let you down? Did your cardio let you down or whatever? And that can be construed as being negative. But that's not me saying, Paul Redmond, you're a shit fighter, you Mm -hmm. know? And the same thing with uh, with BJ Penn or Benson Henderson. You you took up BJ Penn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so so Benson, BJ Penn did what he did but again there's so many great players like Michael Jordan when he played for the Washington Wizards was pretty fucking terrible he went mm-hmm. off for 51 points one night but other than that he probably should have stayed away we tend to see a lot of footballers who've lost that last yard of pace hurlers the same thing fellas who are trying you know, for one more title one more trophy yeah. one more All-Ireland and it's kind of, you know, it's, but we have to be able to call that. But at the end of the day, as long as we're respectful to, to athletes and the athletes are respectful to us. But I do think as well, there's an onus on the athletes and the promoters and the people within the fight game, not least managers as well. They seem to have no idea how this works because I am absolutely not, you know, the the extended arm of somebody's PR operation, nor will I ever be that. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that again in a second. But I, there's yeah. another thing. I was watching The Wire last night, right? This is a roundabout way I got out of it. Yeah, I'm mad for The Wire. <laughs> I love it. But... 
the I'm on season five, and there was a there was a scene where they're in the the newsroom at the paper, and the you know the the managing editor or whoever it was stood up and goes, well, we we're having to make cuts. You know the the London office is closing, the Hong Kong office is closing, and you know ten people in the office or whatever got shot. And then they were saying, you know, we have to do more with less, and that's reality as well, isn't it? Like in newsrooms today, how big of a problem do you think that is between covering? And I know, look, we can. We tend to uh, we tend to brush everyone with, <laughs> or tar everyone with their one brush. Like you could call you mainstream media and someone working for Fox News mainstream media, and there's there couldn't be two more diametrically opposed people probably <laughs> there. Like, do you think that's a big issue as well? The fact that like a lot of people are covering the sport, not for, are covering things in general, but maybe to, to keep it to MMA, are covering the sport for clicks or for uh, you know to. If Conor McGregor does something, we'll cover that. But if you know Jessica Pinay does something, we won't cover that. And I know that mm. that's always going to happen. But like, or not, not even like that, not even that big. But like something negative, they'll avoid it, and and or maybe not, you know, not necessarily something negative, but something that they know will like stoke up the fires, or they know will, you know, just get them clicks, even if they don't think that's the right thing to do. Do you think that's a big issue in newsrooms and and in in for editors, I suppose, of of uh, of different publications? Absolutely. I mean, Conor McGregor wouldn't have his own website and YouTube channel if it wasn't going to generate revenue, right? So mm-hmm. anybody using the words Conor McGregor, it's like for years. I would see Swedish journalists sitting around the place, right? And we'd travel around the place at football games with Zlatan Ibrahimovic was playing for the national team, right? And they would gather after the mix zone, you know, and Zlatan might have said a couple of words and they would be going, okay, so you write the extended match report, you write the analysis and who'll do Zlatan? Because there always had to be something about Zlatan. He could have played shit, he couldn't have, he may not have done anything, but there was always going to be a piece about him because they knew that that was what was going to generate the clicks, right? Why are you generating the clicks? Because the clicks generate revenue. How are you generating the revenue? The advertising that goes on those pages, right? So if you go back to the theory of media and communication science, and stop me if this gets too fucking weird, right? But there's a book written many years ago by an academic called Noam Chomsky, who was actually a linguist to begin with. His theory of universal grammar about how we all learn language was sort of groundbreaking stuff. But he looked into the media and he wrote a book called Manual manufacturing consent and it's about how the media works and the economics of the media is what's fascinating in this case Sean right Mm -hmm. because MMA exists because it generated media to begin with, right? I remember UFC one. I remember the only rule is that there are no rules, right? People in Ireland knew about that at the time, you know? I remember actually renting the first videotape and thinking this is crap and turning it off. But I remember the, the, the atmosphere around the UFC at that time because before they even had a sport, right? Forget about an organization. Before they even had a sport, they knew the value of this in media terms. Now, it took them 10 or 15 years to actually work out how best to package that. Uh, but, it took, you know, but even back at that time, they instinctively knew that this is going to be news, regardless of what happens in there. And when when that happened, then it created a business model whereby you go, okay, what sells? Now at the moment, you know, it's you know Conor McGregor, anything about him, Khabib sells. Like I've had people say to me, and it's you know it's neither right nor wrong, it's just there that Khabib was a brilliant thing for the UFC because of what he has done among the Muslim world. There's over a, Muslim, a billion Muslims in the world, mm-hmm. and having a Muslim champion like him who is so devout and who doesn't fight during Ramadan and you know who thanks God every time he comes in and sits down on the press conference is an absolute absolutely huge thing for the UFC because it opens up people that they previously ignored in the same way that Conor opened up Europe in a way that no fighter had ever done before and the colour of Conor and the Irish fans and everything else like that that's a huge benefit to them so anybody looking at that would say okay now we write about Khabib as well because we're getting clicks from this place and that place so in that business model the way I come about it, I come about it in a different way, right? I have to look at a story and say, okay, is this worth it? Is this worth it pre- presenting? Now, my audience is a lot different to yours. Is this worth presenting? It? And the story of Leah McCourt, to me, was worth presenting to a different audience because here she was, you know, with Bellator, different promotion, single mother, trying to do her best out of Belfast and that kind of thing. And her story sort of uh, resonated with me at the time. The fact that Bellator were doing so much in Europe and not taking on the UFC uh, when they announced the European series and that kind of thing, that resonated with me. So I wrote about those stories. I've done stories about Cage Warriors, that uh, card that was in Manchester, I think, in front of no fans. And I've done one or two other things about them as well. I'd probably go to a KSW event because I want to lift stories that are interesting, that are not just the UFC, at the same time as I want to write about Conor McGregor and John Jones. Amanda Nunes is somebody I've been chasing for a while because I want to tell her story. But I'm not telling that. My my revenue is not d- dependent on clicks, right? So I can write stories. You know, I did a thing about Zlatan yesterday. I was allowed to film him when he was training with a club here in Stockholm. 
and it was a cross between I wanted to do that because I wanted to talk about his how he was influencing the people around him like the coach the sporting director the other players in the club so that was the story I wanted to tell mm-hmm. but it's also clickbait because you put his name out there and he's <laughs> kicking a football and there's no other football to be had you know I know it's going to get used around the world but that's the last thing I would think of is is this ever going to be read you know mm-hmm. I've done so many stories that have never been used at all and you know what that's fine because the editorial decision that I made and that the editors made to tell these stories were not based on revenue they were based on on the intrinsic value of the story itself. And we need to look at MMA in that way. And one of the things that I've never really enjoyed uh, on certain MMA media websites is, oh, you know, pros react to this, that, or the other, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, fuck, I have Twitter. (laughs) You know, if I want to know. And again, you know, it's it's a small thing, but it's just, for me, journalistically, you know, I I can take it or leave it. And I mostly leave it, you know? So, that, but, but again, by, by collecting them in the one place, they're not going to get that click and maybe somebody will buy a protein shake off it. So, you know, as long as they're, that's the economics of it, it's going to keep going. I don't, I don't mind them like that. I think they're harmless enough. Like, I, I know maybe they're not the, the most upstanding, brilliant thing in the world, but them like top five lists and stuff, you know, they're all right. They're not harm anyway. I think they're okay. But I like... I think one thing is, you know, you said there, uh, and you put it obviously very well about how you decide and the uh, editorial decision you make. Like... And, you know, sometimes it can be great. Like, you know, I interviewed Conor McGregor a week before his fight. That's perfect because yeah. you can talk about the fight and you can also, you know, talk to Conor McGregor. It's absolutely fantastic. But I'll also talk to lads who are 1-0 at an event or, you know, Paul Hughes or Ian Gary on their way up. And I interviewed Vincent Henderson, you know, who's a former uh, UFC champion. And two minutes later, you interview someone who's 2-0 or whatever. Like, I feel like, and I'm not just, <laughs> well, I am. Oh, yeah, sign up to Patreon. But, like, I think people... I think people should support that as well, as well as, you know, just clicking the clickbait things. Like, if you love if you love MMA and you want it um, covered like that in terms of there's, there is an editorial decision being made, but it's my decision, right? And it's not an editor over me. I'm the editor. I'm the interviewer. I'm the producer. I'm the podcaster. Yeah. I booked the guest. You know, and like... I, I feel like if you, and not just me, if you don't want to, if you don't like me, fucking, it's grand. But like, find someone like that, whether it's Luke Thomas, whether it's you, whether it's Ari Hilwani, whoever it is, and support that person until the very end. Because if that person wasn't there, you know, I even talked about it, I hashtag MMA retirement last week. Like, <laughs> if that person wasn't there, I think you'd miss them when they were gone. You know, I really think you would. Because, like, I, uh, there's a few people I have like that where I sign up to their things and listen to their things, even, you know, I, I, uh, wrestling one where Dave Meltzer is there and he's he does just a, such a fantastic job in Brian Alvarez and they, they break down the WWE and they're in a situation here now as well a very similar one to the UFC where it's actually worse and they're gone above and beyond you know firing people all over the place and I love the fact I have those lads to, to listen to and it's a, a subscription service like 100 quid a year or something it's like almost double the price of my one but anyway and it's, it's great to have that and I feel like people need to support that even more than, than they do uh, and allow people to do it maybe full time so this is a this is a quick sell here for me but and another thing before we move on to Dana White because I really want to talk about that as well and we might, might end it on that with 10 minutes or so the fighters and managers right you touched on it a second ago and how a lot of people are kind of beholden to them and like for me i said it last week and i'll say it again here today if i never interviewed another fighter it wouldn't matter one bit of difference to me like most fighter i i don't think i've ever well maybe once but i apart from maybe once i don't think i've or maybe twice i've earned much money ever from interviewing fighters or from you know having them or you know whatever um I do it because I, I kind of feel like we in Severe have a need to do it and we kind of were expected to do it and I kind of have grown to like it a little bit but um, if I never interviewed a fighter again uh, I, it would make a difference to me I don't I try to avoid managers as much as I possibly can if they come to me and go do you want to interview someone and someone I like I like yeah perfect no bother but I try to avoid them do you think especially in MMA media people are, are beholden to fighters beholden to managers because they absolutely need them to do what they're doing and that'll actually adjust the way they speak because of that Oh, I, th- I absolutely think so because I mean, like, I've, and I've heard this from some colleagues in in some sports in America that you know, if you have an agent who has a stable of athletes and you speak badly about one of the athletes and you get yourself blacklisted from the others, so you know, you might have LeBron James's guy, and then you know, like, if you say something about one of his minor clients that oh, guy, this guy has a dodgy jump shot or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're not allowed to speak to LeBron James. So there is an economics in that, and that that is one of those things that I feel you have to call out at every opportunity, right? So I like, you know, there are certain I don't ever very very rare 
rarely would I contact an MMA manager. I'll always contact a fighter or a referee or somebody directly, you know. And the reason for that is that I've always tried to build up a relationship with people, right? So people know, they wouldn't know who I am compared to yourself or PT or anybody else, right? But they will generally be aware of me when I show up. And when they put the face to the name, they're aware of the way that I work, right? Mm-hmm. And most of them will then make the decision that, okay, this fellow will give me a, a fair shake, but I'm not going to be able to sort of, you know, force him to do anything like that. And with that reason, some people choose not to talk to me and some people choose to talk to me, right? And the, the culture that we're working in, though, is a lot different at the moment. And there's two reasons for that, Sean. Mm-hmm. One is that... Um, fighters and managers want control over exactly what's said right so you get in a situation where uh, they'll say okay you know you can you can sit down with my fighter you've got 10 minutes i'm going to sit in on it but you're not allowed to ask this this and this hang on a second you don't get to decide, decide the questions that's called a press statement right if you decide questions i've asked put in a fucking press release and leave it at that right yeah. so that's one way of doing it. but the other thing is that they have their own channels right so and you know again this is not a dig at connor connor has the the mac life so he can do an interview andrew mcgahan used to be with him back in the day now it's oscar who's doing it and they do great interviews and that kind of thing right but unfortunately there's no way in the world that you can describe what's being done there as being objective Right. Another thing that's hard to accept, and I'm by no means questioning any individuals here, but when a company owns the broadcast rights to something, you have to question the objectivity of it. Right. Every game played on Sky in the 90s was the greatest game of Premier League football (laughs) ever played even if Sheffield Wednesday were in it, right? So that, that, and you know, people need to be aware of the dynamics of that happening and the fact that a story may not be told because it's going to make your partners look bad. And that, again, gets back to your earlier point about why independent, independent sports media, political media, news media is so important because I'll report those things without fear or favour. I literally cannot think for one second that if I write this about this fighter, he may not speak to me again. So be it, Sean. And I fully believe that there are people in the fighting industry who won't talk to me and who have refused for years to speak to me one-on-one because of that, because they know that I'm not going to lay down and just let them say whatever it is. And again, you know, I don't have any sort of personal opinions about how they are as people, but I certainly have opinions about how they conduct their business. And I certainly will ask the questions because that's what I'm paid to do. I'm not paid to sit there like a nodding fucking donkey holding a (laughs) dictaphone. You know, I'm paid to ask the hard questions that fans sit in a home and they click on my byline or they go to the news agency that I work for looking for this report. That's what they pay me for you know the people these guys people respect you more though if you do that i remember i had a fighter once and i i uh i sent him a message like do you want to do a, an interview and he was like oh no you talk shit about me before or something so i'm not doing it you can go to my manager maybe he'll allow you to and i was like all right no bother that's grand and then maybe two months later or, or whatever i was at a media day and he was there and i interviewed him and every time i've met him since that he's come up to me and goes oh hello sean how are you and he like and i i didn't hold back on any of those interviews i don't want to meet her i asked him the question straight out but like I feel like people sometimes, they get it in their head. Do you think, like, I think fighters and people in general, even Dana White, which we'll get to next, I feel like even when it's put in front of them and when they're asked the questions, they actually don't mind it too much. I feel like it's just the thought of people, like, calling them out or whatever. It's actually worse than the, the, the actual take itself. This, this is the thing, right? What we need here is adults in the room, right? And I, there was a bit of a back and forth there this week on Twitter between Conor McGregor and the Irish singer Sinead O'Connor. Oh God. And Conor's, you know, he's been talking a lot about, have you seen this now? Yeah, I did, he's yeah. been talking a lot about COVID-19 and Sinead was saying, you know, a lot of things about th- things that Conor has said in the past, right? But, you know, like what we need to understand, Sean, is that when I sit down to, to write something or when you sit down to interview somebody, this is not personal right mm-hmm. i am not making a judgment on connor on the content of conor mcgregor's character as martin luther king would have put it or on the content of sinead o'connor's either you know i am talking about him in his capacity as a fighter yeah. right i'm i'm hopefully going to do an interview with the sweden coach Janne anderson in the very near future and you know like i like him as a man i like the way he thinks about things that kind of thing but i'm critical of some of the things that he's done and they are the things that we're going to take up but when that conversation is over and the dictaphone is switched off we're going to go and watch a local club train together and just you know talk a little bit of smack like you know mm-hmm. so but you know, and he understands that, and he respects the fact that I have a different opinion to him. The Olympic committees here in uh, in Scandinavia, right? I've written a lot about doping in Norwegian sports, and some of the things that they do in cross country skiing are very suspicious, right? They still send me all their press releases. They still invite me to all their events. They never turn me down. Athletes that I have written about who have been suspended for doping still talk to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> despite the fact that I've written stuff that if they, you know if they were to take these things personally, they'd probably punch me for it, right? But they understand that I am doing this not as a person 
person. I'm doing this as a journalist. I'm questioning them, not as a person, but as a journalist and them as an athlete. We have our roles to play here and we need to have the adults in the room. Managers need to tell their fighters that. Promoters need to tell their managers that. And the promoters themselves need to realise what it is that journalism is and what it does in terms of bringing these sports to the general public. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Dana White? So I know we, we kind of talked about it <laughs> earlier in the week in private with the whole, you know, I've been a little bit critical of Brett Akamoto, but I suppose maybe maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> well, well in, in fairness to Brett, if Brett wasn't there, somebody else would have That's to do the same yeah. job. And again, ESPN, they own uh, the, the broadcast rights to, to UFC, right? I am not going to say for a second. I mean, I, my personal opinion about how those interviews went, I'm going to keep to myself, right? But I don't think that anybody can say objectively that that was, you know, straight off the bat because there was no hard follow-up questions, you know. you didn't. He didn't make Dana sweat, basically, as we say in the business, you know. And so it's always hard to sort of say, well, you know, that was okay. That was thorough, right? But the problem I have with Dana is that it, it, there's a sort of a conundrum here, Sean, in that since its inception... Um, the UFC has begged for the mainstream to take it seriously, right? Yeah. And the mainstream tries to take it seriously and they just will not allow themselves to be taken seriously, yeah. right? So if you're the CEO of a company that is listed on the stock exchange, for instance, you have to behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You have to communicate uh, business sensitive information in a certain way via press release that everybody gets at the same time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is something that the UFC singularly fails to do, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not casting any aspersions whatsoever, but all the news recently has been broken by broadcast partner ESPN, mm-hmm. right? They're the first with everything, right? So you got to ask yourself, why is this being done in this particular manner? If you were to ask me, and I don't know this for certain, but it's controlling the narrative. I have asked the UFC to confirm certain things, specifically the fight card that was released for the uh, the date, what was it, May 9th, I think, that we're going to run this uh, Gaethje-Ferguson fight mm-hmm. at a place to be announced. Now, if you look at the, the interview that they did, they never mentioned whether the Amanda Nunes fight in that is going to be a title fight or not, right? Now, that might sound to you like a trivial thing. You might assume that that's going to be a title fight. Mm -hmm. I don't assume anything, right? I have to check absolutely everything before I go to print. Mm -hmm. So I went to the UFC and I said, "Um, can you confirm that? And they said, no, there'll be no further comment other than what Dana said to ESPN. I was like, no serious company, right? Forget Mm -hmm. sports, promotion, all the, no serious company would ever behave like that, right? When a journalist reach out, it's your job, right? To say, oh yes, no, to confirm that or not. And then the worst of it is that if I go and write that, anything like that they go oh these fucking journalists they never do anything just write whatever you want well hang on a second when I ask for your help to write about your you say no you know and the same thing again Sean if you crave I am the mainstream right the news agency that I report on MMA for has a billion readers every day all over the world right every major newspaper TV station radio station takes news from that news agency and they put it into their sports bulletins every day I mean I I can't I don't even know how many viewers or listeners or viewers or readers that would be and I'm not saying this to build up myself because I'm just some bloke sitting in a studio in Stockholm right who happens to do this for a living but that in itself the agency in itself has a reputation as one of the oldest and most reliable in the business now if you won't talk to them how do you expect to be taken seriously? Mm-hmm. If you won't accept or answer hard questions from them and easy questions from them because I'd be interested in profiling Dane of the man as well, how do you expect to be taken seriously? You expect me to sit there, you know, and it's just like, you know, you know when you double on the slitter and hurling, you yeah. know, that's so you expect me to just pass this on without <laughs> Help putting you on. it through, yeah, yeah, like without putting it through the editorial filter that I spoke about previously, right? Mm-hmm. Every decision, every news decision, I'm actually working on a story just before you call me here uh, with that and we're, we're trying to work out is, is the person who is behind this story doing this for personal gain or does this have news value in and of itself? Mm-hmm. Every story, every word in every story has to ha- has to be able to answer those questions. So if Dana comes to me and says, and I've written, I've gone out to the, ne- the Nevada desert to talk to Jeff Nowitzki because of the respect I have for that man in particular long before he ever got to the UFC mm-hmm. and the anti-doping work he's done. And I've been out there interviewed and talking about that. We did a great feature on it. We've tried to do stuff on weight cutting, which the UFC hasn't helped with. We tried to do something at the Performance Institute. We couldn't even get a single fighter or coach to be there and show us around the place. You know, it's just the staff showing us around. So there's no video because, you know, there's nobody actually using any of the machinery so you know they just don't seem to understand that working with the mainstream media means that you have to work like a mainstream organization and again i think this gets back to the fact that it is a maverick organization based on a maverick idea of taking away as many rules as possible and just doing stuff but if that's the case and if you want to continue that despite being bought for 4.3 billion dollars by a huge firm and becoming part of a conglomerate it's, you know, it's either, you know, you can't be half pregnant here. You've got to either do one or the other. And if you want to stay the Maverick, stay the Maverick. You want to go mainstream, go mainstream. But, you know, 
pick, pick whichever seat you want to sit in. Uh, yeah, I remember once, actually, I emailed the UFC, just asking him a simple question. It wasn't anything big or complicated or anything. And I, I emailed this one guy over in America. And now I'd, I'd actually, I think the, the, the people in the UK are actually very good. Every time I email them, okay, they might not give me an answer, but at least they'll get, they'll get back to me. But I emailed this one guy in America about it. It was something to do with America. Uh, and he didn't answer me back. And I was like, all right, okay. And then I got an email from him. And it was about, uh, do you know the UFC like released this book with all the stats and what whatever's happened? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh, they go, uh, do you want to copy this? And I emailed back, yeah, sure, because I'd be interested in that. And he was like, great, give me your address, I'll send it out to you. And I was like, you got back to me at that? <laughs> this other question I asked you, the exact same guy, he just didn't even reply. And I, I like, replied, and I said, uh, I gave him my address, and I was like, I sent you another email as well, and I, like, you know, copied it again. And he's like, right, thanks very much, I'll send that out to you. And <laughs> just completely ignored it. I was like, okay. But this is it, like, I mean, like, it's like, I heard somebody say it the other day. Oh, it was actually uh, the, the Sweden football coach saying he called one of the players, and the player never called him back. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you can't pretend, it's not like when you had a phone in your house that was hooked into the wall. Yeah. If you don't hear it ringing, well, then you didn't hear it ringing. Like, you know, pops up in your phone now that somebody's after calling you you know <laughs> yeah. sometimes and I, I, I won't I, I absolutely do not fault the UFC press staff at all and that up to a very high level Sean because they're only doing what they have been told to do what's you know? happened and, there that's changed a lot because Dana was very good for doing media you know he did loads of interviews with Ariel he used to go around everywhere when you know when Ariel was working for MMA fighting and even before that what has changed there that he just doesn't do that anymore he just completely stopped and it seems like the whole company has kind of gone anti-media in the last few years apart from the ESPNs and the Barstool Sports who are more of a kind of a comedy sports I, I like what they do but it's not you know journalism per se why, yeah. why do you think that has changed well see there's two parts of that one is that I think the, the relationship with Ariel probably isn't the best because they fell out badly when Ariel revealed that Brock Lesnar was going to headline yeah. 200 was that right yeah, was and Ariel was kicked out had his credentials yeah. withdrawn and that and I was among the crowd who kicked up a stink over that because that was just appalling you know Ariel was doing his job and all of a sudden he's getting his credential pulled but again th- this is th- they didn't at that stage certainly understand how you deal with independent media or how the media works you know we all want to break stories we all want to break the big stories you know I was lucky enough this time around I was in the right place at the right time and I was the one who broke the global news that the Euros was cancelled. And, you know, it's great. You live on that for, you know, I mean, that was a month ago now. So, you know, that, that eating bread is soon forgotten. But that was what Ariel was doing with Brock. And that really got Dana's nose out of joint. And after that, they started to close up. But in a lot of sporting organisations, and, like, you know, I'll name one or two of them. Irish rugby, appalling. Right? The yeah. Premier League, appalling. Every Premier League club, appalling. Juventus Football Club, appalling. Real Madrid, appalling. Right? They have terrible, terrible reputations. This, when I started covering the Swedish team many years ago, you would get, you know, half the... At the World Cup in 1994, the Swedes would have put out half the team one day, the odd numbers one day, the even numbers the next, right? Mm-hmm. So you would have 12 or 13 players every day that you could interview, right? There was no end of content. And now you get some fella at the end of the bench and the, the second goalkeeper and some fella who's injured and maybe the right back, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so and like in some cases you won't even get that at all like I know in, in Italy they go mad because they don't get any access to the players at all like there are players I know Swedish players I know in Spain and I'll ask a press officer can I do an interview and they'll say no and then I'll just fucking call the player and they go yeah fair enough you know <laughs> yeah. but I mean I think I told you before about the experience I worked with the Norwegian women's team last year and this is even in women's football as well like I went down I was at the Algarve Cup in Portugal just before the coronavirus wiped out Europe and I went down I had one request in to interview a Swedish girl playing for the Swedish national team and they said yes and then cancelled and I, you know, as it was, the Norwegians are good friends of mine. I worked with them all last summer, and I was just able to wander over to their hotel and do whatever stuff I wanted to do over there. You know, so I think that they have taken this on board. Soccer has become very closed. Rugby has become very closed. It's harder to get to have those and maintain those personal relationships. And I think that, and this is very unusual as well for American sports because the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, you can just walk into the locker room. I've mm-hmm. I've interviewed LeBron James sitting in his underpants, you know, <laughs> and and you can do that. But can you imagine being allowed to do that in the UFC? You know, where everything is, you know. Now I know they bring them out for media days and they put them up on stools and that kind of thing. But it's always very very controlled, mm-hmm. you know. And that's the thing. I think once you start exercising that kind of control. And I think that makes Dana even angrier then, you know, when he communicates something and all of a sudden then you or I or P.T. Carroll or whoever MMA fighting, when they push back on that, Dana goes even madder because, you know, his whole idea of controlling the narrative from the very beginning still doesn't work, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that that's something, again, I mentioned earlier on that we need adults in the room and that's what we need. Anybody who ever sits down with me, I have never once, I had, I've only misquoted one person once in 18 years of working for Reuters. Once. Who was it? uh, it was actually a Swedish TV executive who worked with sports rights and he had been ascribed a quote in another publication which I, I picked up and I ascribed it to him and it was wrong and it was it was gone. It was taken off the word after 40 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the only time I've ever misquoted anybody ever in 18 years, right? 
and when people sit down with me and people like me, they will eventually work out that this is actually to their benefit, right? Yeah. The way I work and the way people should or I consider should work actually protects Dana White, right? Yeah. It actually protects Conor McGregor. It protects Ali Abdelaziz's fighters. It protects Latan Ibrahimovic. It protects everybody because we put everything through the same filter. Mm-hmm. And that filter is whether you like it or whether you don't, whether you think the story is positive about you or whether it isn't. It still goes through the same thing. I don't write about rumors. I don't write about transfer rumors. I don't write about who's shagging who. I don't write about fellas <laughs> who have gambling. I don't write about any of it. And you and I know the amount of stuff that we know that we couldn't share about players and infidelities and that kind of thing. I would, I, I literally would turn your hair gray over the point mm. with the things I know about footballers right? but I don't do it and I certainly do not do it in the media because there's enough of people in tabloid media who'll do those things for you and when people sit down and realise that you know the people who are taking this seriously are actually in it not for the good of sport or not for the good of UFC or for the good of themselves they're in the good of they're in it for the good of journalism and for the people who want to read this and be able to believe it mm. sign up for Patreon for all those infidelity stories <laughs> 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 last thing here maybe la- a couple of minutes what will it take, do you reckon, to bring MMA events back specifically? Like, there, there's talks now of coming back uh, at the start of May. There's talks of Nevada opening up. And we talked about it last time in the podcast, myself and Graham, uh, about Nevada, what the situation was there. I saw Luke Thomas tweet now about it. He said it's not as bad in Nevada as it is in other places. So may- maybe that's a good sign for it. But I don't know if you read it yesterday. There was a great article by Ben Fawkes who talked to, I believe it was uh, an epidemiologist, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if anyone hasn't read it, over in the, read it over in The Athletic, please go and read it. It details exactly what you need to do to bring events back. And reading that, it feels like May 9th is not going to happen uh, with all the safety precautions, which the UFC love to say, but which is... Uh, which is very weird because um, an asthmatic in Greg Hardy is fighting on the card. So all the, no matter what happens after that, all the safety precautions will not be taken. But anyway, what do you think it takes to bring an event back? And also, I threw it out there as well. And maybe maybe this is two questions. But anyway, Sweden is doing the kind of the herd immunity thing in in a certain way, if I'm not mistaken. How's it going in Sweden? And is there any possibility that sports are going to actually go to Sweden and do it there? Well, as I shouldn't have been able to talk to you right now because I should have been at a soccer match today, right? So, so AIK, who came, uh, I think, second in the league last year, uh, they were supposed to be playing a, a friendly match. And then it was supposed to be uh, the top four, or the four women's Stockholm teams were supposed to be having a mini tournament in front with max, max 50 people at each ground, you know? So I was going to go to those games today, but I preferred to talk to you. But those games were cancelled, right? Because the recommendations at the moment, even in Sweden, which is not going through the similar lockdown that you have in other European countries or in some states in the US, because they said, okay, it's not safe. We don't want to be encouraging people to do this, you know. So there's two ways of bringing it back. You can bring back MMA in the morning, Sean, right? Mm-hmm. But do you want to bring it back safely or exactly, not? Yeah. And that's where it's going to come down to. At the moment, uh, we've seen that there has been protests. Like, I mean, President Donald Trump was out on Twitter yesterday saying, oh, liberate Minnesota, liberate these various different places. Coincidentally, they happen to have Democratic governors, you know, because they believe that the lockdown is too stringent and that the economic damage now being done is too much, right? But, you know, this virus is not... It's not going to go away, right? Mm-hmm. The only way, and you know, I, I, I didn't actually read all of Ben's piece. I read half of it and then I got a phone call. And I forgot to go back and read the rest of it. So I, like, I, he may have said some of these things in the piece anyway, the epidemiologist that he uh, interviewed, right? The only end of the COVID-19 virus is either, it's going to be herd immunity, right? Herd immunity can be acquired in two ways. Uh, we either all get it, develop the antibodies and it will be fine, or we have a vaccine or a combination of those two things, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the bad news today for the UFC is it appears that having had COVID-19, uh, you don't keep the antibodies for very long, which means that you're actually not immune after having it, right? Exactly. That really sort of will put a cat among the pigeons in terms of the herd immunity strategy. And I say Sweden on Monday when business opens up, it's going to have to take a good hard look at some of the things that it's been doing, right? So if they want to bring it back, yeah. I mean, the NBA are talking about the same thing. The Thomas and Mack Center there, for anybody who's ever been to see the fights in Las Vegas, uh, down you go down East Tropicana, a bit, you'll come to the Thomas and Mack Center. They have the NBA Summer League there every year, two courts. They're thinking of quarantining everybody. But it's virtually impossible, right? If you have hundreds of players there, you have people coming in and out every day to feed them. You have food, you have uniforms, you have laundry, you have medical staff, you have visits to medical facilities, you have all these kinds of things. It's just... Logically, it wouldn't seem to be possible. It would just seem to be such a huge, expensive thing to do. And if Dana's talking about quarantining quarantining dozens of fighters, technicians, this kind of thing, they still have to be fed. They still have to receive medical care and these kinds of things. So I just don't see how logically it's possible. And the problem with something like this, containment in terms of viruses, and this is something that I've been told, this is not an opinion of mine, this is something I've been told by epidemiologists, if you get patient zero, uh, and just isolate them in the very beginning, then it might be fine. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, some of these things, it's been talk of bat soup and it's talk of all kinds of things. Well, when that mutation happens, you know, because COVID-19 is the latest in a long series of, of the same kind of virus. Well, when that mutation happens, if you find patients zero and isolate them straight away, well, then, you, you know, it's not going to be a problem. We're way past that. Mm-hmm. We are way past that now. There's like hundreds of thousands of people who died from this. This genie is not going back in the bottle, no matter how much Sean Sheen or Philip O'Connor or Dana White wanted to. Mm-hmm. So in terms of holding safe events, I don't know. I mean, it could be the rest of the year. You know, we could lose the rest of the year to this. But in terms of holding events, they could, they could probably start on May 9th. But the problem I, I would see with the coronavirus is uh, this period of incubation, right? So if you test somebody now, uh, they could actually have the coronavirus. And with the test we have at the moment, they could still be negative, right? But that, then they go in and say, it's you're wrestling with Greg Hardy or whatever. Then Greg gets it. Greg's an asthmatic and Greg dies. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's the price we're prepared to pay here? Like how many? Like you know, is it the death of Greg Hardy? Is it the death of Amanda Nunes? Is it the death of Tony Ferguson? Is it the death of Tony Ferguson's parents or grandparents or his neighbour or his coach? Is it the death of you know somebody related to Dana White? You know, so until such point, me, I'm not prepared for any of those things. Right, I'm obeying the Swedish regulations here. We as a Stockholm Gales Gaelic Football Club are entitled to train as long as we're not more than fifty people. But I've said no training because I cannot have that on my conscience. Mm-hmm. We have people with yeah who've had cancer in our club. We have people in their families who have underlying conditions so i can't do it no this is not i'm not fucking putting the halo on here and saying i'm better than dana white but i'm saying that i'm making my decisions based on different criteria if your criteria is that i need to provide espn with content so that i can make money on a contract and one of the other things that we haven't spoken about that's probably worth pointing out as well is that in the contracts between espn and uh, the ufc or any sort of um, cage warriors and bt or whoever happens to be shown it right there's always a clause that's called force majeure right force majeure is something that uh, unpredictable that happens that means that the contract cannot be delivered upon right mm-hmm. so those contracts are actually unenforceable there is no judge in the land who's going to say okay espn are now suing the ufc for not putting on events no judge is going to say ufc you have to put on events because of the fact that we have a global fucking pandemic going on right mm-hmm. so there's no the fact that people feel sort of contractually sort of straitjacketed or that kind of thing there's no legal basis for the most part for that you know the reality so is it, they're financially straitjacketed to put it on and maybe that, not they're just they, they financially want to put it on like. but, but again Sean if we had adults in the room we could talk about these things and we could talk about how it might be possible for them to do different things because you know like they're a business like any other they just gave 300 million dollars or whatever it is uh, as a dividend to shareholders probably bad timing and that kind of thing but I think fans want to see uh, these things survive I think the ESPN wants to see these things survive mm-hmm. there are definitely ways of doing it I mean one thing that the UFC could do in the morning w- would be sell a voucher for a pay-per-view Right, so yeah. if that's something that ESPN need to keep them afloat and, and thereby keep the UFC, if I, I'll buy it. I don't even have to pay for pay for pay per views because I get them free here in Sweden. But I'll buy it just to keep the organisation afloat because this is what I do. I love the sport. I want to see these fights, regardless of whether I'm writing about them or not. You know, but you know, if your your knee jerk reaction is to take risks with other people's safety, then I think that has to be re-examined again. You know, mm-hmm. again. It's like it may it may be possible, but it just the, the the science of things. I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks that, and you're a man who's very well educated, gone through, got your degree, all that kind of thing. Science is not a selection of answers. It's not a map that leads us to answers. It's just a way of asking better questions. Mm-hmm. And in we're still very much in the early part of this pandemic here. It's going to take years before we know what was right, what was wrong, exactly. who took the right actions at the right time. And you know, I wouldn't say a fight card on May 9th. You know, if the difference between having a fight card on May 9th and maybe losing a fighter or a coach. Or somebody related them to the coronavirus I just think that that's that's a price that I as a, as a fan a journalist wouldn't be prepared 100%. to pay last question here because we, we started this as a, a media podcast and I, I think we did we did a pretty good job what do you like right, let's say May night may be a different situation but if the card was happening tonight right and if I leave my house and I go to a place where there are lots of people that's going to make the risk more you know it doesn't matter if you're uh, a journalist it doesn't matter if you're a fighter a referee you know some lad just walking to tesco or whatever it is it, that's that's going to be an issue um we won't even get into the covering it from home and being against it because th- look we've had that argument so many times and i think if you don't understand that by now you're never going to understand it what do you think about covering games or mma live in the middle of this now in i'm not talking about a month down the road or two months down the road or whatever do you think uh, media should go and cover it. Do you think they should put themselves, their family, and everyone else at risk just to go and cover it? 
Well, this is one of those questions that actually comes up surprisingly often in other areas of journalism, but it's only now really that's coming into MMA because it's probably the first time that the situation has existed, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things, I was actually due to be in Dublin the last week of March to speak about hostile environments and risk assessment, mm -hmm. right? So one of the things that I've been trained in the 18 years that I've worked with Reuters, uh, some of it as staff, but most of it as freelance, is working in hostile environments. And by that, I mean war zones, riots, uh, civil disturbances, famines, all this kind of thing, right? So I've been taken to London. I've... Uh, I've been kidnapped, you know, in inverted commas, put in the boot of a car and driven around Canary Wharf for 10 minutes. At six foot three and a half, that is not a comfortable situation, right? So, hold on, wait, you... hold, wait, wait, hold on. Were you actually kidnapped or is that like... Uh, no, no, uh... no. Basically, it was one of these sort of stage kidnappings okay, okay. where, you know, where they bundle, <laughs> into, they bundle into the back of a car and drive you around. Okay, and, uh... But, but they, I'll tell you something for nothing, Sean. They played the role very, very well. Two yeah. lads from Northern Ireland. And they played the role very, very well. And I mean, you start to think, Jesus, are these guys serious? Like, you know? So uh, and that was one of the most eye-opening things I've ever seen. But when it comes to doing things like that, and, and this MMA, like an MMA card or UFC card or a Cage Warriors card is no different. You have to sit down and you have to assess the risk of what you're getting involved in. Mm -hmm. So I know that uh, Casey and Esther over at MMA fighting were thinking, okay, if they had to go and cover this card that should have been happening tonight in California, or that they told us was happening, they were talking about masks and not being in the octagon. And you know, I know Esther's been sprayed with blood. She's been taking photographs. Esther Lynn on many occasions, right, in the past. But she was thinking, well, what will I do if that happens now, right? So with your employer, this is not a decision for the journalist to make themselves either, right? This has to be made in concert with your editor. And if you, you assess the risk of that happening, right? And in that, you would say, okay, what um, mitigation is the UFC putting in place? How are they going to protect us? Can we take measures to protect ourselves by wearing face masks, by wearing gas masks, by having our own selection of, you know, what you call the hand sanitizers or whatever? How do we make sure that our equipment doesn't then up catching the virus or it's like that it lives on plastic surfaces yeah. so or it can live on plastic surfaces so if that gets it we, we pop it into the car and then the kid takes the camera out to mess around with it or whatever gets passed on that way so all of those things have to be assessed and at the end of the day the thing that we've always been told in terms of hostile environments, and I've, I don't know how many times I've been tear gassed and how many riots I've covered. I was in uh, an elevator one day in Kiev in Ukraine when a riot broke out and a man told me that I, he actually, the only thing he said was it's all kicking off down the street. And I ran, I got out of the elevator before it started to go up and I ran off to cover it. And that was one of the first times I was tear gassed in 2012, I think it was. But since then it's happened. But uh, like that was dumb of me because I never had time to assess the risks correctly. But what you do then is you look at the geography and you make sure that you have like some way of escaping from that situation, right? So we'd have to assess all those things together with your editors and say, okay, is this the only way to do it? Is there a safer way of doing it, right? So, you know, if you're covering a riot, can you stand to one side? Can you have, like, somehow you can get out of there if it all does turn nasty or if police start shooting live rounds? In the case of the UFC, can you get in there? If you see that, you know, people are touching, that sweat is spraying, that blood is, is flowing in the, in the octagon, can you stay away from all that? And if it's not, then you have to retreat mm -hmm. because no story is worth your life. No yeah. story... It's really like, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if I get the best shot in the world, the best picture in the world, the best quote in the world. None of that to me is worth dying for because I have a wife and children at home. I have parents in Dublin. I have friends like you that hopefully would miss me. Right. Mm -hmm. And that applies to absolutely every journalist. And anybody saying that either journalists a, have to turn up and cover something. No journalist has to cover anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And if it can be covered from a safe distance, that's fine. You know, would I do it? Again, I'd assess the risk of doing it. And if I thought I could cover it safely, I would. But if for one second that I thought that this was putting me or anybody I love in trouble, there's absolutely no way I'd be there. Yeah, and I think... I, I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about Esther or Casey. I think they're, they're great people. Uh, if your boss is making you do this, I probably don't think your boss is a great person. Like, I, I yeah, really then, don't. Then, then your boss should not be in their job. Yeah, exactly. Because and if, and that, that just doesn't go for the, the media's boss. That goes for Dana White as well. Like, I spoke about it last week at the podcast. He did that interview with, with Brad Akamoto, uh, and he said he's not letting his children out. You know, they're not allowed to go and meet their uh, their friends or, or their uh, other parts of their family or whatever. And then he's allowing the fighters <laughs> you know, to travel to, to California and f fight with another person. It's, it's it's crazy like and i like we get caught up and you said it perfectly there we get caught up in this mma bubble like if you're going to a war zone to cover a riot or someone getting fucking shot or a, a battle or whatever it is or if you're you know gavin Riley in in um in dublin covering the amounts of deaths that that's very very different than mma media covering a fight in the greater scheme of things, it doesn't matter a shit about this fight. The, what matters about this fight is spreading the disease. And one more person there is spreading the disease more. 
our, the possibility of spreading disease more. So well, I think it's, it's, it's I like know. this story that came out about the, the fruit pickers being after being yeah, flown yes. into southeastern Ireland, right? Mm-hmm. Now they're they're classified. The thing that wasn't said in the beginning, they're actually classified. Uh, fruit harvesters are classified as essential workers. Would you agree with that or not? That's just what happened, right? Can you seriously say to me that MMA fighters and referees can be classed as essential Obviously workers at this not, point in time? Nobody can make that. I'm sure in Florida, I can. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But but this so when you think about it, you know you have to be consistent in your thought process. Mm-hmm. And if it's not good enough for Dana White's children, it's not good enough for mine. Exactly. It's not good enough for Connors or for Tonys or for Khabib's. You know. Mm-hmm. So you know I know that there are outside pressures on Dana. I mean it it is give the guy credit, right? He's running an absolutely huge business, and it is a catastrophic situation that nobody else has had to face. FIFA has been around for years. UEFA has been around for years. The International Com- Olympic Committee have been around for years, and they too are struggling. But they have huge bodies of staff and essentially Dana has himself and a few people close to him Sean Shelby Mick Maynard these guys who are helping him out so you know it's a hugely difficult position I respect that but I cannot respect uh, the fact that you're willing to put other people's lives on the line whilst trying to protect yourself and, and your children that kind of thing that just it just doesn't make any moral sense to me whatsoever and I think that you have to be allowed to ask those questions and to have those discussions because if he can give me a good reason if he can convince me that they this is essential work that what they are doing is essential work absolutely but if this is just doing it is being done to line uh, the pockets of WMEIMG well then I'm sorry that's just going to have to wait for a little while indeed 100% Right, Philip, thank you very much for joining me. This was a heavy one, but it was a good one, I feel. I, I feel like it needed to be said a lot of things. Yeah, we, we have to do this. Every once in a while, we have to bring everybody back down to earth. We do. You know? <laughs> we definitely do. Tell the people where to find you, the Patreon, everything like that. Do you know what? Today, we're not going to talk about Patreon or Twitter or anything else like that. But what I would ask you to do, right? Soundcloud.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm, right? Everybody needs a little bit of content. So what I'm doing at the moment is I'm releasing, a, republishing a book that I did about setting up the Stockholm Gales here in Sweden. The book is called A Parish Far From Home. Uh, par- uh, chapter 10 will be out on Monday morning. The whole thing is there. And again, this is not for me to make money or anything else like that. But I'm after putting hours into recording all the chapters. So go there, have a listen to it, enjoy it on your commute from the kitchen to the fucking living room or whatever it is you're doing these days. <laughs> and have a bit of crack with it because I just think the, the good thing about that book is it's not about Gaelic football or it's not about uh, hold on it's about community and it's about you know this sort of nice warm feeling we have when sport brings us all together and I think we all need that right now Sean yeah 100% and as well if uh, not just this podcast but all podcasts there's a lot of people not commuting now and podcast numbers are seriously being hurt by that so download your favourite podcast listen to it <laughs> like it yeah. spread it out really no, but, but, but that's the thing Sh- share with it interact with it because I do think mm. a lot of people are actually listening to things because you know they're, they're sitting they're on the treadmill at home or whatever or you know just fucking lie down your bed there on the couch because there's an awful lot to be gained from listening to discussions like we, the ones we just had uh, there was a lot of good stuff in the A side during the week Meatball Molly was on there with, with PC it was great crack and you know you've had podcasts out pretty much I think you've had two or three out this week already haven't you? More yeah <laughs> yeah more like that's the thing but, but the stuff is out there and you know just to pass the time to stay sane because another thing I notice people getting frayed at the edges online and they're yeah. jumping at one another and they're going mad and, and that's understandable Sean this is a, it's, it's a time where it's okay to be afraid yeah. right but things like this conversations about subjects like the ones that we've just had a it's mma it's sport but the other thing is you know you might just you know find a little bit of calmness in this mm-hmm. fucking thunderstorm we're going through you know yeah and i brought the thunderstorm last week so i better bring the calm this week on. i calmed out a bit but hurricane katrina <laughs> <laughs> hurricane dana is on oh, the way god almighty <laughs> right philip thanks very much uh for joining me thanks everyone for listening and all that's left to do is give you your inspirational quote of the week it won't always be like this. It's going to get better. We'll see you next Tuesday. Or Saturday or Sunday.